Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And uh, we'll be looking at the whole chapter and we'll read those verses in just a few moments. Um, As you're opening up there, let me just say a word uh, to you. Many of you, of course, all of us at this point have heard about the landmark uh, Supreme Court decision that was made this week. And um, I've said a brief word just on social media about um, the gratitude we should have to God for the lives that would be saved through this. But at the same time, the compassion and love that we ought to have for our neighbor um, who may not see this the same way we see this. There are people in crisis pregnancies for whom this is a, a really difficult week. And so if you are interested in being the hands and feet of Jesus in this way, I want to mention to you two of our ministry partners that you might consider uh, volunteering with or donating to. Uh, the first is the Etowah uh, Pregnancy Testing Center in Rainbow City. They're a partner of ours. Several women in our church are very involved in this ministry. First Baptist gives to them monthly. Um, so the, several of the women in our church would love to talk to you about volunteering there, being trained to be a counselor. Uh, these are people, though, that are on the front lines of, of uh, loving women through crisis pregnancies and providing for women through uh, crisis pregnancy. So I would encourage you to be a part of that. And the second is Young Life. They have a, a, a arm of their ministry called Young Lives that's intentionally meant to minister to teen mothers um, in, in Etowah County. So um, my wife Whitney's on the board there and would love to have a, or part of that ministry at least, and would love to have a conversation with you about partnering with and, and giving to Young Lives as well. So I, I do um, want to make sure that we all recognize the burden we have as the Lord's church uh, to love and serve those around us, and especially um, those who are in a crisis situation, and especially those lives we so uh, passionately try to defend in the womb. It's our responsibility to continue to try to love them uh, outside the womb as well, and we are partnering actively with ministries who are doing just that. Many of us here in this church are doing just that. John chapter 17, if you have your Bibles open there, would you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God? John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for them, their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And Father, I pray we would receive the gracious invitation you offer us in the gospel to be welcomed into your life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In his book on the life and thought of the great author J.I. Packer, Alistair McGrath shares a quote that he thinks sort of encapsulates, that sums up Packer's understanding of teaching and preaching. Here's, here's what he said. What, this is a Packer quote. What shall I say to my class in substance is, look, this is the biggest thing that ever was. And we Christians, most of us, still haven't appreciated its size. We've been Christians for years and years, and yet we haven't fully grasped it. This is how Packer understood preaching and teaching and the ministry of the Word. It's this idea, look, this is the biggest thing that ever was. The more I think about it, the more I think that might be my goal in preaching. Years ago, I saw the magnitude of God in His gospel. And since then, all I really know how to say every Sunday... I think I'm trying to do is come here and say, look, look, this is the biggest thing that ever was. 
and we still have not yet begun to grasp how big it really is. My friends, we've been spending the last several weeks thinking and talking about God and who God is in His being and His essence and who God is as a tri-personal, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is glorious. He's infinitely glorious. God is holy and He's majestic. God is infinite in His perfections. There's no limits or bounds in God. God, in His very essence, His very core, is infinitely perfect and infinitely good. He has no limits. He has no bounds. God is big. (laughs) He's bigger than almost any of us can imagine. And in all of this, God is tripersonal. It's enough to consider how immense God is as simply God. But then when you start to consider the glory of God in His tri-personal nature, that God in His very being and essence is also three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the immensity of God begins to melt our minds. It's stunning to consider how big God is and how amazing and majestic and glorious the good news of the gospel is. And God is in a perfect relationship with God. Three persons, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father, and the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Son, and the Spirit loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son. Do you see how beautiful this relationship is? That God has a perfect relationship in and of Himself. It's the most exclusive of relationships possible. There's no club more exclusive than the divine club. Only three persons are members, all of a shared essence, all fully and totally and completely God. And if God wanted to, He could remain uh, for, for all eternity in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. There's nothing that forces or presses upon God to disclose Himself to us. And yet He has revealed Himself to us, despite being immense, despite being transcendent. God has come near. And this great and glorious and magnificent, this massive God has invited you to know Him. A little being made of dust, breathed into with life that comes only from God. You are invited into the life of the one God who rules and reigns over the universe. Look! Look! The biggest thing that ever was is inviting you into His life. Look, the biggest thing that ever was is inviting you into relationship with Him. And here in this passage of Scripture is Jesus is praying on the verge of His passion, of His death. Here we get a picture of the love the Father and the Son have for one another. And the Lord Jesus, as He prays for us, is demonstrating the fact that as we are welcomed into the life of God, it is not a subcategory. You are invited to share in the love which God has 
for God. You are being invited into the very family of God. You are being treated like a son. You will be indwelled by the very Holy Spirit of God. This is not a distant invitation. You don't get to tour the parlor of the house of God and the upper quarters are reserved for special guests or only for the family. You are invited fully and totally into the love and joy which God has within Himself. The love that the Father has for the Son, the love that the Father has for the Spirit, and in all of its manifold glories and riches, the way that love is rich and and full within the Godhead, it has spilled over onto you, His creatures. God invites you into His life. And I want to show you this morning four truths about this invitation into the life of God. Uh, Four truths that I think will be helpful uh, for you as you are invited into the life of God this morning. Here's the first. You are invited into God's glory. You are invited into God's glory. Notice what our Lord says in verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Have you seen this? You see this picture of eternal life? We so often think about heaven, and we we think so much about the incidentals of heaven. Right? The incidentals of heaven. It's a place where there will be no more tears, a, a place of joy, a place of good things. We think about streets paved with gold. We think about the incidentals of heaven. And that's important, and those are good signs of a good world where God is. But the most important thing about heaven is that we'll get to know God fully. We'll know God fully. Notice what Jesus goes on to say. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus goes on later in the passage to say even more explicitly how he longs for the people of God to know God's glory. My friends, I want you to know something. An invitation to know God is an invitation to know God's glory. The essence of who God is in its radiating nature. God is God. And God's essence is so great and so magnificent, much, much like the sun in the sense that the sun is what the sun is. And by the sun's very nature, it then radiates light and heat in the same way God contains in himself such a nature that he naturally emanates. He sends forth the light and heat of glory forever and ever and ever. It's the 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 ability we have to see and to know and to understand the godness of God is reflected 
and His glory. And here we see that when you are invited to know God, you are invited to know His glory. You see the glory of God in salvation. Jesus is showing the way that the pinnacle of God's glory in His life is at the cross and His life and work. And when you think about Jesus, you think about glory. <laughs> we just, by our very nature, think about glory because of the things that Jesus did, right? We think a lot about Jesus' miracles, the things Jesus did. How, how much more glorious does it get than the miracles which Jesus performed, right? To be able to take water and turn it into wine, to be able to touch people whose bodies are broken and heal them in a moment, to be able to say to people, get up and walk, to be able to make food miraculously become uh, 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 full and able to, to feed multitudes, to be able to still the winds and the waves, to be able to do all the things that only God has the authority and ability to do. Jesus is doing those things, and we're reflected in His glory. But here Jesus is saying, glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you And he goes on to say, I have glorified you on earth, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Jesus is showing that the pinnacle of his glory, okay, the pinnacle of the glory of the life and the work of Jesus is at the cross. That God's glory is revealed in salvation. But Jesus goes on to talk about here in verses 4 and 5, particularly verse Five, he says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, the cross is a revelation of the glory of Christ. It doesn't make him more glorious. He has always been eternally glorious. He says he shared glory with the Father before the world existed. This is another uh, 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 scenario where we see Jesus demonstrating his own understanding of his own divinity. Nobody but God shares the glory of God. But here we see a picture of the tri-personal, eternal glory of God that you are invited into. Consider, my friends, the magnitude of this invitation. How huge this invitation is. You can know God. And you are invited to see and to partake of His glory. Something Moses and God's people of Israel could not even handle. You now get to experience in full by the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. You see, I think part of the problem in the world, part of the problem in the world is that we're bored. I, I think we are the most entertained and most bored generation, perhaps, in human history. We are so bored. Now, despite the fact that we're constantly bombarded with spectacles and entertainment, we're constantly bombarded with things, we nonetheless have found so many things that ought to be amazing to us commonplace. Sometimes when I'm sitting on an airplane, I look out the window and I look out across the heavens, right? And I think, look how bored we all are. Look at how glorious and gorgeous the world outside is. 
And I looked out, and I said, man, that's amazing. Isn't God amazing? And I go back to watching a, a movie on my iPhone or something, you know. We're bored. We think we understand everything. We think we know everything. Consider then this invitation to know your Creator and to know something that's truly glorious. Not something mundane, not something boring, but something truly, unendingly, infinitely glorious. What an invitation it is to know God and to know His glory. We're bored and a good glimpse of glory would go a long way. Look, look, this is the biggest thing that ever was. He's inviting you to know Him and to know His glory. But second of all, you're also invited into God's joy. You're also invited into God's joy. I, I want you to focus in particular. We, I wish we had time to really do justice to every ounce of this passage, but, but we don't this morning. So I, I want you to just focus really for a moment here on verse 13. Jesus continues His prayer uh, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And he goes on to say he's praying for them. They're in the world. And uh, he's, he's asking God um, to keep them. Um, he, he's, he's asking God to be with them. But he says something in verse 13 that I think is so helpful. He says to the Father, the Son does, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Another symptom of the modern age is that we do not tend to be joyful people. We tend to be dissatisfied. We find ourselves constantly longing for more. We're the, we're the, most, comfortable, we're the most comfortable people in human history. You know, we, we have air conditioning. Which I know you're thinking, what is, what's wrong with Matt? You know, is he, is he losing his mind? Because of course we have air conditioning. But my friends, for the, this is the first time in human history people have had air conditioning. Nobody ever has been as comfortable in church as you are. Nobody has ever been as comfortable at home as you are. Nobody's ever been more comfortable. Comfortable. I, I don't think there's ever been a society in human history, from what I understand, that's ever been more collectively affluent than the society we live in. Right? We we have more access to medical care. Our quality of life is better than the quality of life's ever been in human history. And yet, and yet, why are our suicide rates climbing? Why are we depressed? Where is the joy? God is pure, unending joy. God is perfectly joyful in Himself. He's a, a supernova. He is a nuclear fission of joy. There's never a moment where the wood for the fire of the joy of God runs out. He has unending fuel of producing joy. He is perfect in himself and he delights in himself and he has unending perfect 
unneeding, endless joy in and of Himself. And here the Son, who knows the joy that the Father has, and knows the joy that He has, and knows the joy that the Spirit has, and knows the joy that they collectively experience together as God. He knows that joy. And here what He says in verse 13 is stunning that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What an opportunity. What an invitation for weary and tired and sad people to be invited into the joy of God. You might be tired, you might be parched, and you might have come here of all places in the world to a First Baptist church And you might have thought, well, I'll give it a whirl, but if I had to guess, I'm going to find an invitation here to a stern life, to a sour life, to a life that's forced to take myself seriously, to a life of stern rule-keeping. But what if I told you that the invitation that I offer you this morning is simply because I'm a, a conduit of God, And as He invites you into His life, He invites you to joy. Now there are things about following Jesus that don't seem joyful to you now, but that's the beauty of the wisdom of God, is He can see around corners we can't see around, and He knows things about your heart that you don't know. He knows things that will bring you joy that you don't know right now, and you've been looking for all sorts of different things to find joy, but what if God is the true source of that? I believe He is, and an invitation to know God is an invitation to experience joy. Christians should be more joyful than any people in the world. We once were dead, and now we're alive. And this joy is being fulfilled in ourselves. As the great hymn writer said, Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee. God of glory, Lord of love, always giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth, of happy rest, loving Father, Christ our brother, let your light upon us shine, teach us how to love each other, lift us to the joy divine. God invites you today to his life, and in so doing, he invites you to his joy. Look, look, it's the biggest thing that ever was, and he wants to fulfill his joy in you. Third of all, You are invited into God's truth. An invitation into the life of God is an invitation into the truth of God. We live in what some scholars are calling a post-truth world. A post-truth world. Every institution, every institution in our society today has a tenuous relationship with the truth. Truth Truth-telling has fallen on hard times. Knowing and understanding Truth has fallen on hard times. My goodness, even the philosophical foundations of what truth even means have fallen on hard times. The world is not a place that's hospitable for truth and for truth claims. But you see, my friends, God has not taken us out of the world, Jesus says, but He has given us His truth in the midst of it. Look at verse 14. 
Notice what Jesus says. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. My friends, this is simple, and I'm not embarrassed for this simple solution. God invites you into His life and He invites you into His truth through His Word. His Word is truth. Don't abandon the Word of God. It's a lifeline for you. In a world of chaos, in a world of difficulties, God gives us a lifeline of truth. We can know Him through His Word and we can be sanctified. We can be made like Christ. We can become more holy through the Word. You see, the Word is going to make us look different from the world, and we have to expect that that's true. Christians are living through uniquely challenging times right now as the crosswinds and the pressures of living in a secular world seem to grow even more extreme in every moment. And we look stranger and stranger by the moment the more we tie ourselves to the Word of God. But brothers and sisters, my friends, Jesus told us to expect this. Not Paul. I know some folks want to pit Jesus against Paul. Not Paul, not the apostles, not some fundamentalist preacher somewhere. Jesus told us this, right? Jesus told us that his word is truth. And he says the world will hate you because of me, Jesus says. Because of me, he said. The word will give us different solutions than the world. We oftentimes look at a problem and we, like the world, see it as a problem together. That's not all bad, <laughs> okay? I, I know over the years we've seen a lot of Christians get frustrated when something we've believed is a sin for a long time all of a sudden becomes sort of a, a buzzy topic in the world. And we, we, then we start trying to find out ways to make, well, God doesn't really think that's a sin. But the reality is we can share an understanding of a problem, but what we have to make sure we do as Christians is provide biblical solutions. Biblical solutions. Solutions, solutions in keeping with righteousness. And the Word's going to give us different solutions than the world because the Word is truth. My friends, you've been invited into God's glory. You've, you've, been, huh, you've been invited into God's truth. You've been invited into God's joy. But finally, this morning, fourth of all, you've been invited into God's love. You've been invited into God's love. Notice what Jesus says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. An invitation into the love of God 
and a receiving of the love of God produces unity among the people of God. That's what seals us together here. It's not that we all have ballots at the voting booth that look identical. That's not what holds us together. It's not that the pigmentation in our skin is identical. That's not what holds us together. It's not socioeconomic identity. That's what, not what holds us together. It's sure not what college football team we root for. That's not what holds us together. What holds us together, what brings us here every week, what keeps us going together, is the fact that the Father loves the Son. And the Son, the Father love us. And that love's been put in our hearts. And that love transcends any boundary in this world. It's greater than all these things. God's love unites us, but it's also eternal. God's love will never fade. It will never end. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. This is a picture of heaven. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these that you have sent me. God's love will never end. He wants you to come where He is and experience His love forever. But I want you to see one final thing. You may be sitting there saying, there's no way God would love me. There's no way God would love me. I've, I, I don't even want to be here right now, <laughs> you might say. I'm here because I have to be. Why would, why would God love me? You don't know what I've done, preacher. You don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know what I've done to my family. You don't know how I treated my sweet mother. You don't know what I did to my ex-husband. You don't know what I did to this person or that person. You don't know how could God love me. God's love for you is not based on you. God's love for you is based on the love that God has for God. And that's good news. But it has overflowed to you. Notice what Jesus said. Verse 26. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. God loves you because God is God. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father and the Father loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father and the Spirit loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit and that's a love that has never once faded for all eternity. There's never been a moment when God didn't exist. There's never been a moment where God was not God in three persons and there's never been a moment where there wasn't perfect infinite love dwelling within the very being of God and that love has overflowed to undeserving sinners like Matt Alexander and though I can't keep myself in the love of God the love of God keeps me in him forever look look it's the biggest thing that ever was And He loves you. His love has overflowed into His 
creation. His love is the source of why the whole world was made. His love is the key that sets all things right and makes all things good. His love is what can set your life right. His love is what will bring you joy. His love is what will bring you into the truth. His love has shown you in dazzling brilliance what His glory is. My friends, God wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know His glory, His joy, His truth. And my friends, today, this very day, by God's grace, you can know His love. You can know His love. You are invited into the life of the living God. I hope you'll answer the call today. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, I offer an invitation to you to know God today. If you'll turn from your sins in repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. Second of all, you may be a believer and you say, Pastor, I, I need to grow deeper in my relationship with my knowledge, personal knowledge of God. This altar's open. I, I'd be glad to talk with you or you can pray right where you are. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy today it would be for me to talk to you about what it means to be a member First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.